Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Friday, November the 30th, 2018. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Takenberts, and let's get started with this week's Market Chat, Christian. So it seems as though the market really right now is being driven by certain outcomes of, of isolated events. So this week we had Chairman Powell talk about, um, you know, how we were just kind of below neutral in terms of the normalization of interest rates. And of course, we saw the, mic, the market then spike upwards on those comments. Um, similarly, we've, we are waiting to kind of with bated breath to hear the negotiations between Donald Trump and President Xi of, of China. What is going on here with these different different events? Look, I, I, I think um, we, we had the earnings season. That's obviously over by now. Um, we're from the stock market's perspective, we're in a bit of a dead zone. There's very little sort of corporate announcements coming out. You know, mergers aren't taking place. There's a few things. We had General Motors, United Technologies decided to split itself into three, but really, it's back on the macro. And the big, the big questions are, you know, is the Fed going to be a little bit more? dovish as it increases rates, or is it going to be a little bit more hawkish as it increases rates? Notice that the only variable is how fast they're going to do it, not whether they're going to do it. Um, and I think the other one with the trade is just obviously that's been hanging over the uh, the market for most of this year in some form or another. But where I get nervous is if the market is saying, well, it all depends on and then fill in the X. And in this case, it was the X of is Powell going to say something different this Wednesday than he did on October the 3rd. Yes, he did. The market liked it. And then is this weekend going to reveal anything more about this ongoing China trade uh, argument? I mean, negotiations, call it what you will, but obviously at this point it looks like a total impasse. So the market is is sort of waiting on one item. And when it's doing that, it's kind of a binary outcome. It's sort of like, well, is it going to be good for the market or is it going to be bad? And obviously if, it, if, if he puts the tariffs on, it's bad. 25% increase of the tariffs covering all China imports uh, in January, that's bad. And if he says anything else, like they have a deal or they're working on a deal or they've come to some sort of like-minded like uh, solution, uh, then that's good. And so we just kind of have to wait for that. But it generally, generally means that the market hasn't got enough else to sustain it if it's waiting so much on a single outcome. In terms of the trade war, you know, we've gotten to this impasse, but who's winning the trade war at this point? Yeah. Uh, well, in, in numbers, China's winning it because the uh, trade deficit with with China is probably 20% bigger than it was a year ago. Let's just say that the trade negotiations started about a year ago with the washing machines, if you remember. They, they had a big tariff increase. Uh, they're the ones which have been most um, obviously you know, hurting consumers. And then it started with the steel aluminum, and we've had various different versions of that since ever since. Um, but so if you measure by the amount of imports that America has, has uh, taken from China, that's gone up 10% year on year. And the number of exports America's made to China, that's gone down 10% uh, year on year. But, I mean, despite what the president says, these are self-inflicted wounds on either side. I mean, China is is uh, having other problems. It can't sort of grow its grow its way out of uh, out of slower growth just with exports and just with exports to the US. So that definitely makes it difficult for everybody. But uh, in the numbers side, 
it, it's obviously not showing any any major progress, and nor did we expect it. Nor did any anybody out there who's looked at trade for much longer than five minutes expect this to really start turning around. Uh, you know, anytime soon, it's good, it's going to be hurting the U.S. economy. And interesting, we saw what GM said. I mean, in closing a lot of their car plants, apart from the fact that their cars have been hopelessly uncompetitive for decades, they were looking at a you know one billion dollar increase in aluminum and steel prices. And last time I looked, most cars uh, were assembled out of a lot of aluminum and steel, and so that made them a less competitive. The Chinese have put tariffs on auto imports, so they're in a very difficult situation. Mm -hmm. So certainly for fourteen thousand workers. Uh, of GM, it doesn't look like the trade wars have really uh, helped them. You alluded to to this, but we have seen a slowdown in global growth. We have seen a slowdown uh, in domestic growth. Even if there is a deal um, that comes out of this weekend, that doesn't necessarily change that, does it? No, I don't think it does. I mean, other than the trade deficit right now is dragging back U.S. GDP to the to the tune of about one point nine percent on an annualized basis. That's just because of the rate of deterioration was quite high in the second and third quarter and looks like it's continuing this quarter. You know, it's not enough to pull back, you know, weaknesses in the market like we've seen with housing. Uh, we've seen some, you know, right across the board that's kind of weaker because rates are, are heading higher and also some other leading indicator industries, particularly chemical shipments, funny enough, bro. Our way down over a year, so I don't think it's enough to sort of turn the economy uh, on its head. And I think the market can can handle a slowing economy. Remember, we had four four percent in the second quarter, three three and a half in the in the third quarter, probably three in the in the fourth quarter. So you can handle that. I think it just removes an awful lot of it would remove an awful lot of sort of anxiety, supply chain chain issues. Mm -hmm. And companies having to make decisions about, you know, where they put their plants. I mean, there was a story last week about, you know, BMW caught, we've talked about this before, totally caught in the crossfire here. It makes its SUVs here because SUVs and trucks have a 25% import duty coming into the U.S. So they make them here and then some are sold here and some are sold overseas. So now they're in a double bind because uh, they're making them in the wrong place given, you know, where they want to export them to. So, uh, you know, I think just removing some of that uncertainty would be a, would be a great help. You also wrote this week in the blog about uh, kind of increasing bond spreads. Uh, can you just remind everyone what this means and, and, and why it's important? Yes. Well, bond spreads basically measure the creditworthiness of a borrower. So, uh, everything is measured off the U.S. Treasury, who who borrows in dollars at the best possible rate, because obviously it's a sovereign borrower and considered to be of the highest credit quality. So, uh, you know, a very very strong non-financial company like Apple might be able to borrow five-year bonds, 50, 60 basis points, maybe even less over the U.S. Treasury, and a, and a more troubled company is going to pay a lot more than that. And the reason we have to look at it is that. Uh, these spreads can widen out very, very quickly. So GE, when it was in its heyday, could probably borrow uh, 70 basis points over the U.S. Treasury on the five-year. Today, it will have to pay 600 basis points over that. And that, um, that means that if you're holding a GE bond, it probably went from about 115. You know, we looked at one of the bonds earlier. I think it was a 10-year bond with a 3.5% coupon. It went from... 
110 to 85 in the blink of an eye, less than a month. So, you know, so credit spreads can do a lot of damage to a bond portfolio, and that's why we keep on coming back to you know, credit's got to be really, really good. And credit deteriorates at the end of an economic cycle because companies borrow in the good times. You know, that comes due again. Some of these rates, some of these bonds have to be refinanced at higher rates. The guys who are very highly leveraged then have less uh, interest rate cover. So it generally leads to a much sort of deteriorating bond situation. Now, what we haven't seen this time is you know, a wholesale decline in spreads, but we're beginning to see them. And we saw it in high yield, saw it, certainly saw it in energy high yield. That's beginning to happen. And I just say that this is where you've got to really watch carefully to make sure that these spreads I think they're going to go out, which is why we've been uh, deteriorate, which is not good for bondholders, which is why we've been emphasizing the treasury and the high quality side. But um, I think that's just something we're going to be talking about probably for the next six months. And where do you think we are in this credit cycle? Then? Very early. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, times have been good. Uh, it's been a long recovery. They got this kind of boost at the end through the tax changes. And I think a lot of companies have been, you know, on, on pretty good cash flows, but they've also been borrowing heavily. And if you get a situation like GE, downgraded obviously big time, but UTX, United Technologies, you know, with the big industrial holding company that owns a number of, of businesses, but they're going to split their business between Pratt and Whitney, which makes the jets. They already sold off Sikorsky, the helicopter, um, and Carrier, which is the air conditioning com company. And um, and I and I the others probably just more the industrial goods and the locomotives and so on. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry, uh, Pratt and Whitney. That's um, uh, they're, they're, that's more aerospace side. Um, but anyway, so that was a, a credit negative event, and so they've been taken down from you know almost to triple B, which is only one not truly above above uh, high yield. So you can get you can get all these events happening, which uh, which be can begin to cascade on themselves. And so we're, you're advocating uh, high-quality credit, namely treasuries. Um, does the deficit affect treasuries at all in terms of kind of, of hmm. warping the bond market, so to speak? That's a really good question. I mean, at one level, people say, well, the deficit's going up, and it's gone up, for, its budget deficit's gone up from about $600 billion to $700, $800 billion this fiscal year and a trillion dollars this fiscal year. And so the obvious put it on the table, can't really argue with it, is the treasury supply is going up, therefore they must, must be crowding people out and rates must be going up. But it doesn't always work that way. And in fact, it doesn't work like that way very much at all sometimes because treasuries can borrow at all different rates. You know, they can borrow overnight, three months, all the way out to 30 years. And they can do an awful lot of things with their borrowing, which other borrowers can't. I mean, no other borrower would would borrow treasury with treasury inflation protected securities they'd be crazy to do it you know a cfa would lose his job for doing that they can't really borrow floating rate notes they can't really you know offer the strips that the treasuries can um so uh, uh so yes it, it's still a very desirable asset class and um at some point, a massive kind of oversupply would lead to more deterioration in rates. But I think right now the market can absorb a lot of supply, and then look, and they're looking much more at where are they in the cycle, and and what's the what's the Fed going to be doing with rates? Because we saw the ten-year come in this year, in the last few weeks, 
go from about 3.1% up to 3.25, and today it closed at just under 3. So everyone knows the supply is coming. That's not a secret. So what's happening? Well, people are saying, well, no, the, the, the rate of growth is coming down. The Fed is going to be cutting, and the 10 years is a good place to be, um, given you know, given everything else, inflation and growth prospects. So, so the supply side doesn't doesn't dominate the story all the time. Finally, uh, you wrote about Microsoft. Microsoft very quietly has has taken over uh, as the largest company in the world from Apple. And you know, Microsoft doesn't get a lot of, of the same splash that Apple does. But how did they do this? That I think it's a very good sign because uh, um, I mean, Apple's a, a fine company for sure. You know, Amazon was the second sort of member of the trillion dollar club, and they're down twenty five percent. And meanwhile, Microsoft. You know, a new CEO came in five years ago, slowly plugging away, and they have the corporate and enterprise side and cloud side, you know, pretty much nailed down. I mean, they've always been, you know, very big in the corporate sector, and that's still, you know, companies still need to move to the cloud if they haven't done. Um, that's that's a big enterprise. They still need Microsoft Office Suite <laughs> um, just to run things. They need databases. Um, yeah, and they need the kind of technological support which Microsoft's you know really really good at. They don't have you know it's not that they don't have competitions; they're very good at that. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, yeah, it's nice to see because it's um, you know it's a kind of a slow and steady. Um, Microsoft share price didn't do anything for twelve years after two thousand. It really uh, peaked out. Earnings were fine, but it peaked out. People thought it was sort of X growth, and here it is, you know, quietly getting into. Great businesses. It's not making any flashy products like Apple. It's not uh, in social or um, you know search like Google or Facebook. It doesn't have any of those problems. Mm -hmm. And I think people kind of like like having a nice, valuable company around. And you know, hats off to them. That's that's a very well managed company. Great. Well, thank you so much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening, and Thanks please everybody. join us next week. Okay. And here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represent our investments, investment strategy, data's commentary, subject to change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will protect the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is for general financial purposes only. References to an individual security should not be considered as a recommendation to buy or sell a security. The security is mentioned in this commentary already. Several successful and unsuccessful investments buyers do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold or recommended. Although we deem reliable the source of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements on American data passports, no indication of future results.